This is Damal Loganipe, CEO and co-founder of Civic Eagle. And if you want to start being intentional with your free time and discover your true purpose and potential, then you should be listening to the Free Time Podcast with my good friend, Carl Sona. Deep down in your gut, you know there's more to life than waking up for school or work, going through the motions just to get by, and living for the weekend. But you're still scared and uncertain about what your true purpose in life is. Welcome to the Free Time Podcast, your very own community and virtual support group created to help you leverage your free time as a valuable asset so you can start to improve your mindset, learn self-empowerment skills, and ultimately find true fulfillment to move you towards the incredible life that was specifically created for you to live. This is more than a podcast dropping three episodes a week. This is a movement built around real people sharing real stories focused on helping you make the most of your life by becoming super intentional with your time. Brought to you by your host, Carl Sona. Now, before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a quick announcement. We're on a mission to build a movement here around the topics of self-empowerment, mental health, and personal fulfillment. These are all some really big topics that we all deal with as human beings, but also they're topics that will look a little different for each of us as individuals. And so I'd love to put a name with the face and learn more about who you are and where you are currently along your journey. So I'm super excited to announce that I'm offering free 15-minute Zoom phone calls with me in order for us to get better acquainted. If you're at all interested in this, please hit the link to my calendar in the show notes below to sign up for a time and I'll see you there. Now, without further ado, let's jump into our episode today. Damola, what's up, man? Welcome to the Free Time Podcast. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well, Carl. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, man. You're somebody that I've wanted to have on to the show for quite a bit of time ever since I actually had the vision and the desire to start this show. It's called the Free Time Podcast because... I believe that it's the one common denominator that each and every single one of us has within our autonomy to control, unlike other assets. And so it's the one thing that I feel like should not be negotiable at all with regard to what people want to do and where they're currently at. And ever since I met you, man, back in 2015 in Atlanta, when I was still wilding out, the one thing that I've always associated you with is leadership. Like That's like the one word that comes to mind. And I want to acknowledge you for being a leader because you're a person that does a fantastic job with being able to express your thoughts, express your visions, and getting other people on board. Think about what you helped us do with MGC Capital. I'm obviously excited to dive in a little bit deeper with what you've done with Civic Eagle. But if you don't mind, man, take me through how you discovered you were a leader and what you've done over the years to cultivate and grow that skill. Yeah. Well, I'm a firstborn child and I'll know what your your listeners might know about Africans and, and Nigerians in particular, but that firstborn and especially that firstborn son is kind of automatically put into a leadership position. So I was a person that had to take care of my little brother, my little sister. And I really like accepted that role and embraced that role and, and enjoyed the role. I'm um, gonna enjoy the responsibility. And I think that that really kind of catapulted me and, and was a big part of the reason why I subsequently would take on leadership roles in elementary school, in middle school, in high school. It was either through my own intention, my own you know, desire to take on those roles, but sometimes my parents would push me into those roles as well. 
seeing, you know, that I had those leadership qualities and capabilities. So I think part of it is definitely kind of nature. I think I was just kind of born to be a leader. And then I was born into positions of leadership. But then also part of it is nurture and being in those situations and having my parents put me in those situations and having teachers and, and friends kind of place me in those situations and then enjoying that responsibility. Because, you know, leadership is great, but there's a lot of responsibility that comes from it. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely, man. For those that don't know what it's like to grow up in a first-generation African household, you know, I certainly come from that background as well, too. Let's break it down for them. You know, I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts. One of the things that I feel like has always pushed me or driven me to, you know, strive for more is this idea of reciprocity. Reciprocity in the sense of, I watched my parents come here, you know, really have no guidance, kind of the guidance that you just you just discussed with this whole idea of nature versus nurture. I watched them, you know, go through a series of trial and error, just trying to piece things together as they were pretty much unfamiliar people to this unfamiliar land. And so I feel like, with me growing up here and, and watching how they sacrifice, I have really no other option but to capitalize on the position that they've put me in. Is that kind of like how you feel or would you agree with that? Or what was your experience, you know, primarily yeah, I, in the African household? Yeah, I, I, I think your experience and the way you feel aligns with, the, with my experience and the way that I feel. Seeing my parents kind of move us, you know, I, I wasn't born here. I was born in Nigeria, so we immigrated when I was six. And then seeing that, seeing them struggle, seeing them fight um, for every single thing that they wanted, and then knowing what they also sacrificed, mm. right? So it wasn't just about what they were looking to achieve here, but starting kind of from the beginning or starting all over again and knowing also like they had things in Nigeria, they had families in Nigeria or their family, their parents, their 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 siblings, but that they sacrificed those things in order to give me, my brother, my sister, a better shot at you know, being successful in this world and, and, and living a life that was better than theirs, which is what every parent wants. And there's a level of responsibility you stated as of reciprocity. Um, I look at it as responsibility. I am responsible, one, for myself, right? But, but I have a responsibility to live up to the dreams that they have for us, to live a better life for myself and for my family, for their future grandchildren. I just have that sense of responsibility for that because what good is the work that they did yeah. moving here, immigrating here, fighting, if I don't do that. Right. Um, it's pointless. I, I've wasted the opportunity that they've given me, they've given my, my siblings. And I don't take that very lightly. I really don't. Um, yeah. something I'm very conscious about. Um, I, I, I think part of that is being the oldest in a first-generation African household um, and as an immigrant. Um, and I think that's part of the immigrant story as well. But there is that sense of responsibility, definitely. Yeah, man, it's a beautiful thing, honestly. And it's uh, it's a privilege. And it's one thing that, you know, growing up, I always tried to figure out how can other people that don't have the immigrant story, right, like find that little extra edge in order to help hold them further accountable. A lot of people that I come across, you know, that are my age, sort of this uh, 24 to 30-year-old bracket that maybe were born here, don't really feel as though they're playing for something bigger than themselves. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like to how you just eloquently like stated the whole immigrant story, we are playing for something bigger. Can you talk about any advice or any practical tips you would give someone that is really like in search of finding a true purpose or finding something that really like burns them alive to, 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 to further dive into that maybe gives them a little bit of extra push, you know, something that's greater than themselves. Because there's the old adage that if you won't do it for yourself, 
find somebody that you do it for or find something that you would do it for? You know, what would you say to that individual that is sort of seeking for that little extra edge? Yeah, I would say that this selfish thing that we're kind of taught growing up is to go after money, right? Mm-hmm. To go after what can like money and security. And sometimes those two things don't, don't, don't always go hand in hand, but the majority of the time they do, right? Money and security, money equals security, money then equals security, then potentially equals happiness. And I think what we're finding, um, like our generation is finding is that that's just not the case. And there's yeah. gotta be something more, right? And I think you hit the nail on the head when it's, it's gotta be something bigger than yourself. So for some people it's, it's God, it's spirituality for other people. It's their family, it's their spouse, it's their kids. Um, and for other people, it's, you know, a sense of community or it's a social cause. Um, and what I've found like for myself is it's kind of all of those things, right? I feel that all those things are greater than me and I achieve for them. I, I want to do good by my family and my parents and the sacrifices they, they've made. I civic ego is something that I um, has a strong social mission. So I'm passionate about it and love doing it. It's it's, it's bigger than me, what we're building and what we're, what we're creating at civic ego. Um, and then I'm also spiritual and believe that God has a plan for me and God has a purpose for me. So yeah. all of those things kind of be, drive me to wake up every single day, to not waste any single minute of any day, to take advantage of the opportunity that I'm fortunate enough to have. Yeah. Um, and I think if you can find one of those things or, or, or two, or if you're really lucky, all three, to motivate you on a daily basis, that's great. Because money in and of itself will never motivate you. Safety and security actually will not make you happy that's not how you reach kind of that that nirvana of you know i wake up every single day and love what i do it's got to be something that's bigger than you and for me it's it's god family and it's some sort of like social cause and i've fortunately been able to find all three yeah man that's beautifully said you know safety and security are i feel like two things that a lot of people are primarily geared and, and rooted after, you know, there's this whole fear of what if I don't find an opportunity or a career that allows me to pay the bills to keep the lights on or to provide basic things for myself or, you know, then there's other people that fall into another school of camp where obviously they want the safety and security, but you described it as a nirvana. They feel called to sort of an entrepreneurial experience, you know, something that they want to uniquely give to the world. But Again, that sort of safety and security, uh, you know, golden handcuff, if you will, is pulling on them because that entrepreneurship journey can be one that doesn't really have a paved pathway that they can follow. Talk to us about your first entrepreneurial experience and how you knew that that was the appropriate pathway for you. Because I'm sure that, you know, despite you being the successful CEO of this awesome technology company, there were some mental hurdles that you had to initially overcome in order to continue to push past some of those limiting beliefs? Yeah, well, first I want to, you made a comment there about like entrepreneurship and I want to make a statement. I believe that everybody was born here to create. Okay, love it. And not to manage other people's creativity. Okay. Which is what, what ends up happening when you're in the workforce a lot of times is that you're managing other people's creativity. I don't know if this is true. I'd love to see a study on this on on the bit between happiness and creativity. Mm-hmm. Right? Not art, not art, but like cre- creation and being able to create whether it's through creating products, whether it's through creating and manufacturing products, whether it's through maybe art or science and scientific discovery, 
But the ability to create, I think, is something that's fundamental to, to humans. And that's where we actually find that level of happiness. I made up my mind, you know, a long time ago, when probably when I was a teenager, that I wanted to be in control of my own destiny. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be the person that made decisions. I, I, I'm not, I've gotten fired from every, asking my fiance, Amelia, <laughs> gotten fired from every job I've ever had. So I'm not one to, you know, to, to, to go into a nine to five and be, told, <laughs> and be told what to do. And it's really easy to say and a lot harder and a lot harder to do. Like when you get fired from a job, when you're like 15 and your parents are mad at you, right? It's, <laughs> totally. it's not that I was, just wasn't a good employee. I just wanted, wanted to do my own thing and be rogue all the time. So I, I made up my mind, like maybe 15, 16, 17, that I wanted to be an entrepreneur or at the very least control my own destiny. I mean, that just requires a lot of sacrifice, right? Like you want, there's a safety and security. So you got to find a way to provide yourself with safety and security. Yeah. And, and we're big problems that we create. Um, and I put myself in a position to make sure that I focus on solving problems and creating. And that's just what I've done since, since I was 14, 15, 16 is starting starting organizations so i started yeah. a baseball team when i was 12 so starting a business when i was 16 and i started a, started a sneaker retail business when i was 16 so i'm going to school getting my education security right Finish yeah. the good grades and with every single free moment that i had i was working on this um sneaker company and um i graduated from college worked as a management consultant but while i was working as a consultant before i got fired <laughs> um, from each each client contract, even though it was I was doing independent consulting, each co- client contract I had, I was working on Civic Eagle. I had some security, but was always working on solving problems and creativity. Finally, be able to put myself in a position where I don't have to answer to anybody. That's not true. I have to answer to our investors and our customers. But you know what I mean. But I think it's just about um, always continuously going out of your way to identify problems and solve them and create in the process. What is a problem that I care about? How do I solve that problem? And what can I create to solve that problem? And as soon as you start like looking at, at through the through that lens, every single you'll find opportunities everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, like that, like the world is just full of problems. Just full. Of, we talk about problems every single day. Every single day. Every single. Day. All we do is, is complain. What do we complain about? We complain. The reason we complain is about a problem. So there's yeah. tons of problems that that an entrepreneurial spirit can work to solve. Yeah, man. I mean, that's what the news is, right? Nothing but problems. I mean, I would even I would even encourage the audience to take a look at what problems that y'all are currently going through. You know, oftentimes your current mess can become your message. That's kind of how the, the, this this show started for Ooh, that me. Was good. Was. Like, honestly, man, preach by the preach. That's how this show started. I was like, well, I can't be the only one in corporate America that's making good money that already feels like there's something more that isn't doing anything about it. I'm gonna find a way to put myself in action. Once you start getting into a little bit of a flow, you start to take away a couple of things that work for you that probably will work for others. So now it's all about disseminating that message so that as you level up, others can level up. So I love that you bring that up, brother. I love yeah, that. I 100% agree, man. The problems that you go through are not you. you know, no, there is not one person on this world in this world that is that unique, right? right? Problems that you go through, problems that you experience in the workplace, problems that you experience in everyday life problems you experience socially in, in your social constructs, they are things that you can solve for. Yeah. Um, Carl, you brought up how you identified that there was a problem around millennials not being fulfilled when it came to you know their everyday work. So you created a platform, a solution to right. try to solve that problem. 
and that's that is entrepreneurship, right? That is that is you create you created something to solve a problem. And if we all just kind of spend even just an hour a day just looking around at the problems that you are that impact you or impact your family members or impact your you at work, and then try to brainstorm ways to solve that problem and then take action, some sort of tangible action to then create something to solve that problem, you're an entrepreneur. Right. And then hopefully find a way to make money off of it. I love it, man. I love it. That's well said. I mean, I think that's such a practical <laughs> approach to what entrepreneurship is. It's such a buzzword, but I think it's a word that still has quite a bit of fog around what it truly means to be an embody an entrepreneur. And I think you just laid that out very, very nicely. What would you say to the individual though that's in a corporation that doesn't necessarily want the risk that entrepreneurship comes with, right? So they spent the hour a day, they've identified a couple of problems that maybe they see within their specific team or their division in their corporation. And they maybe like to like, you know, raise their voice and, and actually address these things and bring about some potential solutions. How can they navigate that process if they're not at a place in their lives where they're actually willing to step out of the organization and do their own thing. Because, you know, I, I agree with you. Everybody was put here to create. But what I may disagree is that maybe not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur or is capable of being an entrepreneur. I mean, there's a certain level of risk that one needs to be able to shoulder. And not everybody has the, the skin for that. You know what I'm saying? So how would you still take that same advice that you gave us, which is so beautiful and so simple and so implementable to the individual that wants to still sort of be in the corporation, the conventional corporation, if you will. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Entrepreneurship isn't for everybody. Um, creation is. Creation I'll, is. I'll, creation yeah. is. being, cre- And that's when, and to me, like, you know, that's how you can find happiness in, in, your, in your work. Um, but there's nothing wrong with working for a company, working for a corporate. I mean, we have employees at Civic Eagle, right? Like, you, you got to have, you know, you have to have, but the thing is that they all get to create. They all get to create something, um, whether it's technology or, or design, whatever. So I think, one, if you are working um, a nine to five, a job that, but you have that, that itch to be an entrepreneur as well, there's ways to de-risk entrepreneurship, right? Mm-hmm. You can work your nine to five, go home or nine to six or nine to seven or eight to eight, whatever the case may be, <laughs> and go back to the crib and spend 30 minutes or 45 minutes creating, solving a problem. Not working on a business plan because a business plan means nothing. Working on how do you attack a problem and then how do you make money off of creating the solution for that problem? Mm-hmm. You spend 30, 45 minutes a day. Business plan means nothing. Planning and, and like saying, well, I'm going to do this. And then like that doesn't do it. That, that's, that's not the work. The work is I've identified a problem. Mm-hmm. How do I solve? It's an equation. How do I solve for that problem? And then how do I make money off of that solution? Mm-hmm. Spend time doing that. Um, if you want to go into entrepreneurship or be, or be an entrepreneur, if you want to stay in, in corporate and you want to find happiness in that, find something that allows you to create. Don't find something that, that necessarily pays you the highest. If you want to be happy in your job, pays you the most or whatever, find something that allows you to create. Now, for that's, a, that's, that's speaking from a relatively privileged position. Not everybody can, can step back and say, well, I'm going to sacrifice dollars or leave money on the table because I want to find something that makes me happier through creativity. And if you're in that situation where where that's just not something that you can do, then set it up for the next generation, right? Mm-hmm. A lot like you, that's that's your position in life. You're saying, that's what our parents did, right, Carl? Right, right. right. They made the sacrifice to allow you and I to be able to take a step back 
take risk, be creative, find happiness. And they've set me up and my kids up and my kids' kids up to be able to be creatives. Right. Um, and my dad can be proud of that because the Ogundapin name is still on it. Yeah. Right? And they made that sacrifice. So you may have to be that generational Kickstarter and say, all right, I understand that this may not be a position that I am fortunate to have, I'm privileged to have, but I'll be damned if I don't allow my kids to not be in that position and figure out how you can allow them to become problem solvers and put them in that right. If, if you if you do have kids or you do want kids and give them that that opportunity and that, and that level of privilege. So just kind of three things to keep in mind there. Yeah, point well taken. And again, that kind of comes back full circle on our initial point with regard to finding something that's bigger than yourself. You know, one of the things that I love to do that I think is a quick little action that anybody can keep top of mind, maybe it'll help you is the next time you kind of feel things coming in on you, you know, like the stress is getting real. One of the best things you can do is take yourself outside of like your own narrow lens and focus on somebody else. And when I say focus on somebody else, that could be as simple as like asking the barista at Starbucks, how's your day going? Or picking up the phone and calling a homie and just being like, yo, like tell them about your day and just like chatting with them for a little bit. Anything that just takes the focus off of you and places it onto somebody else, it always amazes me how that like little like gesture frees me up from like my own narrow thinking that, you know, sort of entraps me from seeing uh, potential solutions to whatever the issue may be or thinking empowering thoughts versus disempowering thoughts. You know what I'm saying? So I love that you bring that up, man. I want to talk Civic Eagle a little bit. You know, you're CEO, co-founder of this awesome tech company that really seems to have a mission that's dedicated to, you know, increasing access to legislation that creates better democracy. That is an interesting, audacious goal from the standpoint of it doesn't sound like, oh, I'm going to go to school to be a doctor or a lawyer, some of these other noble things that are a little bit more cookie cutter and a little bit more conventional, right? Talk us through like how that vision came to be because that clearly is you know, a testament to what you were just talking about, about seeing problems and being able to like solve for them. But I'm just kind of curious about what the story was with creating that, that and actually taking action on it, you know, which is the most important thing. Yeah, so we have a lot of problems when it comes to politics, uh, not yeah. just in the United States, but globally. And I wanted to solve for one of those problems. I see the political landscape. And when I say political landscape, I'm not just talking about, you know, impeachment proceedings, right? Or like partisanship. Um, there are a lot of, of, of problems that we have when it comes to just government and politics in general um, that are solvable, right? And one of them is access to legislative and regulatory information, particularly as it applies to organizations, right? So what our, what our company does is we use artificial intelligence to identify legislation and regulations that impact organizations. So okay. um, we have corporate customers, we have nonprofit customers, we have small chambers of commerce customers. We have a pretty wide range of, of customers because guess what? Government and legislation impacts every single one of them. It impacts us on a daily basis as, as individuals. So all I did was essentially I identified that there was this larger problem when it came to politics and government. And I, I scanned the problems within that mm. that I was the most interested in solving for and that I thought technology would really help solve. So it wasn't like I actually identified this specific problem at first. Mm-hmm. I identified the, the, the bigger problem. I was like, man, civic engagement, politics, the government, like there's so many problems here. Like what is, there's got to be a way to create, a, to use technology to create a solution and to create social impact 
and to be able to like run an actual scalable venture backable business. And at first we tried something for a few years, years, that's how resilient we're a few years didn't work. We made a pivot, tried something else, happens to be working. So still working in that same sector of 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 kind of political engagement or political technology. And then I and then trying to figure out like how what solution, what's the right product, the right solution for the right market that solves the right big problem, big hairy problem is how we got to where we are right now. And it took time, but it ended up working out just having that resiliency and that focus and that determination to identify the right problem for the right, creating the right solution for the right market at the right time. And we were able to do that. Yeah, man. Well said. How does somebody identify the right problem? You know, a lot of my audience they're sort of a decision fatigued. And what I mean by that is they're overwhelmed by all the different choices that they have available to them, whether it be different opportunities that they can embark on. Or now that you've broken down this idea of entrepreneurship, how it's, you know, the basic premise is finding a problem. What if they see a bunch of problems that they're interested in solving? How do they narrow down the one to actually spend some time on that lights them up so that Kind of to what you just said in your story, if they're coming against hurdles, they can find a way to continue to be resilient and not give up at the first you know, sign of a challenge. Two ways. One, which problem, if you did not solve, would result in a lesser version of the world, mm. right? So which problem, if you were not the person to solve it, if you didn't create the solution to solve it, would result in the world being worse off? Wow. That's the problem that that like you go and solve, right? Like that's the big hairy, like, like the world would be worse off if I, it, by me not doing this. I mean, not trying to create a, like at least giving it an attempt because if I solve this, the world will be better off. The world wow. will improve. Um, and then, or that's one way of looking at it. So I looked at it or which problem impacts you the most as an individual? Which one do you care about the most? Which one really, really pisses you off? And that's what Uber did, right? That's, that was Travis Kalanick's problem. He was like, it really, it really, really sucked getting a taxi in New York, in San Francisco. And he was like, man, it'd just be so nice. My life would be so much easier if I could just open my phone and there was a car waiting for me on demand. Mm. And it was like, this guy, and this it was, definitely wasn't just a Travis problem. He realized it's a yeah. problem for everybody. I mean, his problem was even more, like they got to UberX later, but but his the problem he was solving for was really like specific to him. He wanted a black car. He wanted a limo. <laughs> So solving a problem, either something that if you didn't solve for, the world would be worse off. That's the way I look at it. Or solving a problem that's so personal and specific to you, but understanding that that there's, there are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people just like you that might be willing to pay for that solution for the, for a similar problem that they're having. Yeah. Um, the way I look at it, if you've ever seen like, you know, stayed up late at night and watched those infomercials for products that like make no sense, like the, um, what's that one? The shaker the shake weight the shake weight right yeah, the, <laughs> the shake weight yeah the, the right? thing like this yeah 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 the shake weight right like you look at that and you're like man like who's going to buy this like it just seems kind of ridiculous but guess what there are 100,000 people that will buy that and that's right there 1999 yeah. plus shipping and handling yeah. with maybe like 40% gross margins especially when you leverage like the right sales scarcity techniques too <laughs> you know yeah so that that just proves that um well, it proves two things. One, there's a sucker born every minute. Um, but two, there's there are enough people. The the world is big, man. It's, there's there's eight billion, close to eight billion people in the world. The world is big. There's there's 
millions yeah. of people that are probably experiencing the same problem that you're experiencing. So if you can solve for that problem and then figure out how to create a business around it, that's the tough part. Solving for a problem is the first step. Creating a business around that solution. How do you make money off of it? How do you market it? Get it to people. How do you build relationships in order? How do you fulfill it? How do you how do you make sure that you have positive and gross margins? Like figuring out the business aspect is then the tough part. But you got to do the foundation stuff first, which is what is the problem? What is the solution? And go from there. Yeah, man. Very well said. Again, I think a lot of people come from the mental mindset that, oh, my problems aren't necessarily applicable to somebody else. And you touched on a great point there that like, if you're going through it, chances are, given how large this world is, that no problem is infinitesimal. Somebody else out there definitely has this problem. So I would just encourage people to just kind of have a greater level of self-awareness too with regard to the things that they're noticing around them or even like the language that they're using. Like, man, like, yeah, it really sucks that I have to like call a cab and do this, that, and the other, like the guy from Uber did. Like, those are things that people are probably more likely than not also experiencing. And so it's very, very incumbent that you start to see yourself as an agent to start to set some light on these things and have some discussions and be curious as well too. Like, man, like, yo, homie, I'm going through this. Like, this ever happened to you? And chances are somebody may agree with you. And, you know, if you're able to offer some sort of survey or whatever the case may be to get that out at scale, you may find some issues that actually, you know, are worth pursuing. Again, just trying to get people's like gears to, to, to be rolling a little bit in their minds because a lot of people discount themselves and, and their day-to-day experiences. And that's where a lot of the precious nuggets are. You know what I mean? So Definitely. I have a couple more questions for you before we transition into my free time five where we get to know you a little bit more. And one of the things that I really want to know, because you seem to have this crazy, awesome work ethic, and you seem to be an individual that has extreme poise with regard to how you show up. And I can only imagine that takes an incredible level of self-discipline. So I'm curious to know, man, like, how do you resist the temptation of doing the easy thing and choosing to do the harder thing that you know puts you closer to your purpose and potential? Like, this must be a day-to-day struggle. I know it is for me. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. I have a higher than average pain tolerance and I have a higher than average risk tolerance. Okay. I think it's two big things. And like, I just, just don't care. I don't know. There's, there's just no better way of saying it. I don't think it's normal. Um, I don't think it's necessarily super wise or anything like that, but I just fundamentally do not care about failing, um, about things not going well, about having to start from zero, um, about losing everything and starting over. Maybe that'll change when I'm I'm responsible for for more people, right? Like for <laughs> little ones. Like I'm I'm engaged, so like I'm like family is definitely like front of my mind now. Right. So maybe that that um, that tolerance will change. But fundamentally, like the, the easiest way for me to answer that question is just I, I just I have zero um, zero fear. Fox. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, zero fucks. Um, which I think is to a certain degree you kind of you kind of have to have. The next part too is just and then like being disciplined and consistent. I'm very, very consistent. Like if I have a plan, I'm gonna stick to it. I'll be flexible, but I'll have a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, a plan E, a plan F. I try to think about every permutation of a result so that I can adjust on the fly um, when need be. I think again, like I just have high risk tolerance and high pain tolerance, and then um, I'm very meticulous in, in just making sure that like. I stay consistent and I, and I follow the plan and I, and, and having enough plans at the table that when I need to adjust, I can adjust and be flexible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I'm hearing from you is there's a strong sense of knowing this. Like you seem to really know and understand yourself. And that's obviously something that I'm sure you've, you've developed and cultivated over the years. But it's also something that I encourage a lot of people to like spend some time with themselves, their free time, their downtime, whatever you want to call it. And like get to know yourself, man. You know, today's age is so chaotic. There's so much that's out there that's competing for our, our, our attention, whether it be technology, media, whatever the case may be, that it sort of smothers your own intuition that oftentimes I feel like has all of the answers that you need, you know? And so if you could just like tap into those answers and then start to exercise your intuition like a muscle, how much further could you potentially propel yourself? You know what I'm saying? And another thing that you touched on is this whole risk tolerance thing, right? I definitely understand that you have a higher threshold. Some of the people may not have such a high threshold, but for the audience that's listening, primarily these are young people that don't really have anybody but themselves to look after. And you know, maybe there's a couple of anomalies, people that have families a little earlier in life or whatever the case may be. But I'm a big proponent and believer that this is the special window in life to where you know, the overhead will never be as low as it is. You touched on family coming, a fiance and these different things. For those that aren't there, like, what do you have to lose? You know, like, would you rather, would you rather go your whole life, like wondering what could have been and then just find that life continues to get more and more complicated to where you can't take some of those actions? Or would you rather pull the trigger now, see how things can turn out? And who cares? If you fall on your face, you have all the time in the world potentially to pick yourself back up. Or start to develop something that really makes you come alive, that really like helps you find that purpose and scale that to where when family comes, you're good. You know, that, so that's how I look at it. That's how I look at it too. And I think these are the questions that you know young people need to start keeping more top of mind versus focusing on short-sighted problems that keep them entrapped to a small way of thinking. You know what I mean? So I'm yeah, I mean that's. That up. Yeah, I, I think you're 100 percent right. I mean, everything is. Every decision you make is kind of, even if you're not consciously aware of it, is is measuring risk and reward, right? Like, if I do this, like, what is the reward? That's what stops us from stealing. I mean, other than morality, right? Like, what stops us from stealing or hurting other people or, you know, whatever. The case, what, what stops us from going and robbing a bank for a million dollars and, like, moving the, to uh, to Puerto Rico or something is... Well, Puerto Rico is a bad example <laughs> because it's still a territory. Moving to Cuba, right, yeah. is is the risk isn't worth the reward, right? Like there's a high probability that you get caught um, and it's just not worth it. Um, it's not necessarily just because of, mor- of morality, although we may like to think that. So calculating, trying to take that subconscious calculation and making it more conscious is a pretty good way of, of assessing what makes sense for you to do, right? Like it's a risk-adjusted, it's like risk-adjusted basis analysis, right? Like what is the return, the potential return on investment relative to the risk that I take on this specific idea that I have, right? If I like open this salon in my community, I could potentially make $500,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Why not take the risk of spending X amount of time to get that off the ground, even though you may not work the greatest at your $50,000 a year job? Because you know the potential is to 10x your 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 potential revenue, right? Like you have to start calculating. And and to your point, Carl, like we're in a position now, probably most of your listeners and, and and obviously you and I, where we can take those calculated risks, right? You can say, well, I'm going to risk this ten thousand dollars because the potential of me making a hundred thousand dollars is there, and 
I have really nothing to lose. Nobody's depending on this money. And there's a balance there, right? Like you don't you don't just go and like you know put your life savings on black because you can triple it, right? Like that, that's that's foolish. <laughs> right. You make it's a risk adjusted basis, right? You make that you you look at at the landscape and you make that determination on what the potential ROI is relative to the to the risk that you're taking on. And I think if you if you do that, you'd be surprised at how much more risk you're willing to take on as an individual because we're way more conservative in the United States, particularly as as young people, than we need to be. There are tons of ways to take on take on a relative amount of risk for a good return and not have to play safe all the time. So Yeah, man. And honestly, it, it comes down to people having more value for what they bring to the table. You know, I think if you don't really have a level of esteem or a level of uh, belief in yourself or even trust in yourself that you can go out and, you know, leverage that risk into the reward. Maybe that's what keeps people playing small. So part of what we're going to try to, you know, expose here in the show is how you can start to cultivate more belief, more trust within yourself to actually go and execute upon some of your thoughts and your ideas so you start to really, um, you know, have a greater sense of alignment there. So I think that's a fundamental challenge. Next question for you, man. What does it mean to live a purposeful life? You know, that's what we're all searching after. We're all after some sort of meaning, fulfillment, happiness. What does that mean for you, bro? Where the majority of your time is spent with God, with family, or on creating some sort of social impact. Love it. All right, like because it's not. It's definitely not about money. Some money can be a part of it. Right. Like for me, I found a way to be able to create social impact and generate returns for my investors and returns for me and and business scalability and all that all that stuff. But I would say my definition of living a, a, a more perfect life, nothing will ever be perfect, but a more perfect life, the an optimal life, is the majority of your day is spent in those three things, either with God, with family, um, or creating some sort of social social impact. If you could find those three things, like where 20 hours, well, 18 hours of your day is is with the, is in and around those three things, you're going to be good, 100%. You will be happy. What do you say to the person that is really struggling to make ends meet right now? You know, a lot of people have this victim mentality where the economy is getting ready for a downturn. There aren't any decent jobs that provide, you know, a level of income that can support the student loan debt that they're in taxes, whatever the case may be. I mean, the list goes on and on and on because I love that you're a strong advocate for this idea of money not being the end-all be-all. I'm completely right there with you. But for an individual that literally doesn't know where rent's coming from, I mean, they're already three days due because it's like the 3rd of October right now. And that's all they can focus on. And they're just so money hungry. They're just chasing the next dollar. How do you help them understand that concept that God, fam, creating, that's really where they should you know, spend the majority of their time. Well, number one, vote for Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> Amen. For president. Um, Amen. That's one way. I think you know, we can get into fiscal and monetary policy and how that has you know, increased the divide between the 1% and the, and the, and the 99% you know, beneath it and income inequality and, and all those types of things, which have a lot to do with public policy. Which is what we, you know, obviously I pay a lot of attention to that because that's the space that we're in. So right. There's a lot of things that are out of our control that are making it more difficult and reducing our sense of security to then be able to take on risk. You know, things like policy, like universal basic income, I'm an advocate for because I think that could potentially help solve some of the income disparities that we have 
but then also provide us with that sense of security so that we can take on more risk on entrepreneurship. Things that that you got to do first, like you have to feel a sense of security. Mm-hmm. Everything I'm saying is once you've gotten that baseline, I have a sense of security. So whatever that means to you, whatever that's, you don't got to go above and beyond, right? Like you're, 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 what you have is what you need is taken care of. You're making enough money to pay to pay your bills in a place that you feel comfortable in, um, in a neighborhood that you feel comfortable in. You're making enough to take care of your family if you have kids. Let's presume that you do not if you're listening to this podcast. You're making enough to be able to um, engage in in society, right? Because obviously the social constructs in which we move in which we move and engage in are important not only to our happiness and our mental health, but also for developing business relationships. So you're able to generate enough income to be able to do that. So one, like I'm not saying do not work, do not have that sense of security, do not take care of those foundational things. I'm saying that that anything above and beyond that is is a nice to have. Mm-hmm. Anything that's more exorbitant than that is a nice to have. Um, so just being aware of what are you sacrificing for that increased level of comfort, not for the for safety and security, but it increased an elevated level of, of of comfort. Are you sacrificing your ability to create impact? Are you sacrificing your happiness? Um, because you can, if, you, if if money is a big motivation, you can make more money by giving up some of that comfort in the short term for what you want in the long term. So that's one. Now to answer more directly your question, I look like, look, I need to generate money. Like you're just trying to survive, get to that place of safety and security. You know, the best ways to do that is by developing a skill set that mm-hmm. is in demand, right? So there are millions, I think it's something like 1.7 million jobs right now that are unfulfilled in engineering, right? So can you go and get, go to a coding bootcamp and learn how to code and have a skill set that is in high demand? Can you go and get a skill set like plumbing or electrical work that only requires, not, it doesn't even require a two-year degree, but just some, you know, just a certificate or a few classes. And what can, what skills and trades can you can you use to be able to get to that next place? Or can you take on gig economy jobs, right? Uber, Lyft, Grubhub, those types of things to generate a livable income and then be able to have that safety and security, which allows you then to take more risk. Carl, you know this. I had a Porsche, right? I had yeah. a, a ton of security, safety and security, and I was living in an exorbitant com- level of comfort. And I basically just said, I need to cut all of this out because I'm living too comfortably and I could be putting that money into things that can really help me long term. So although I was I was making a good amount of money as a management consultant, went and got me a nice car, I got my dad a car, I got rid of all that stuff or sold all that stuff and went and bought more properties, mm-hmm. right? Went and because to, to generate more income to give me more safety and security so I could go for two years without a salary from Civic Eagle because I had revenue coming in from my properties. Yeah. Right? So I, I was able to cut out comfort, make some sacrifice, invest in property to keep me safe and secure so I could take on more risk to get Civic Eagle off the ground. And that's just kind of the way that you have to, to think about things when it comes to, to the levels up to entrepreneurship. Yeah, man. Very well said. I think when you lay it out that way, you see that it can be doable provided that you're willing to sit down and really have some honest conversations and ask yourself some honest questions, you know, come to those understandings of what needs to be done and what the bridge is to get you from where you currently are to where you got to go. And then simply take action on those things. You know, like you said, hey, listen, we need two years of runway as far as money or income for safety and comfort or safety and basic needs. Let's sell these things off, 
you know, invest in some cash flowing properties or the case may be so that we have that coming in versus sitting on liabilities. It becomes a little bit more of a logical decision versus, you know, some random miracle that, that people I feel like are waiting to happen in order to get them from where they are to where they want to go. If they're just willing to sit down and be like, all right, let's come to terms. Here's what it is. This is what we're doing, you know, and, and, and let's take action. So I love yeah. that. And, and again, the idea there is you are an agent for yourself. You exercise your own autonomy to come to that decision-making ability. That's a level of freedom. And that's a level of power that I really wish all people you know, can create for themselves is I'm not going to wait for anybody to rescue me. I'm not going to just sit here hoping that something will happen. No, I will sit here, look at this game of life as a chess match and actually make the right strategic moves for myself that I feel are appropriate in that time to advance me forward. And if they're not, well, that's all right, man. You deal with a wrong move, you learn from it, and you continue to move on. But at least you were the one to put yourself in that situation versus somebody else putting you in that situation. So very well said there, bro. I could talk to you about that all evening, but I respect your time. And, and, and I don't want to keep you much longer here. I know you're a couple hours ahead of me on the East Coast there. So let's transition into my free time five. Five quick questions just to try to have a little bit of fun with you and you know, dive in a little deeper from a different perspective. So number one, man, what do you enjoy to do most in your free time that's a leisure activity? Workout. Oh, yeah. You still doing Orange Theory? Twice a week, I've, I've started to do a little bit more uh, weight training. Yeah, so man. got a personal trainer. It's been fun. I like it. I like when, when uh, I have somebody who kind of kicking my ass. So, yeah, man. That's the thing with Orange Theory. That's the thing with Orange Theory, man. You get a little skinny doing those like two or three day like hell weeks, man. <laughs> I, got, I got I got real skinny. I was down to I, was, I got down to nine percent body fat at a certain point. Wow, with very, with very, with not not as much muscle as I would have liked. It was, it was like one hundred seventy two pounds. <laughs> to put it in perspective, I, when I was playing football, I was two hundred and five pounds. So like walking around that, I don't think I've been that small since my senior year of high school. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back to one. I'm back to 185. So I'm okay. Yeah, that's one of those where like you go back home and like your parents get scared. They're like, ah, you might be eating. Yeah, <laughs> like sit here and eat. Um, yo, what's what's one choice today? One conscious decision that you had to make, whether it be big or small, that actively helps you move towards your potential and purpose. One decision or one choice. Proposing to Amelia. Love it. Love it, man. I, I can't wait to see you two in holy matrimony here in the next few months. That'll be a beautiful thing. Kind of hoping that I find my wife there. That's a side <laughs> you, very, you, very, you very well might. You never know. Though. I like this question. So if potential or purpose were a destination on a map, what would be more fun? Like the actual drive or journey to the destination of potential or just somehow getting there in and of itself? Oh, the journey is so much more fun, man. I have no idea what the destination is going to be like, so I guess I'm speaking too soon, but I can't see the destination being more fun than the journey. The journey is yeah. pretty, the journey is a lot. Like the ups and downs, like the reflection, it seemed like, like, man, last year, if X would have happened, I would have been so happy. Now X has happened and I'm on to Y and like reflecting saying like, wow, like I got there and acknowledging that and like now we're on to this next thing right and so i think i, I really really enjoyed the journey I, I would do this over and over and over and over again what i'm doing right now i would just if i could just repeat this every yeah. 10 years 
um, I'd be the happiest person in the world. It's, it's been, it's fun. And I, and I enjoy what's, what's interesting is, and I was talking to a friend about this last week. I enjoy the stress. I enjoy the anxiety. Mm. I enjoy the, the pain and the suffering because it's all part of it, right? Like yes. it's all part of it. Um, so even though in the moment, like it, it, it's, it's uncomfortable when you go back and you're like, you really reflect, you're like, I really, everything is part of it. And it's, and it's interesting because I think th- th- there's a bit of an athlete mentality there where you just, ha- where you, you just know that, you know, I'm, I'm busting my ass six days a week for three hours of football on Sunday. Right. right? Like, like you better, you really better love the, you the better love the process. process. Like you, you got less, you're not going to last. And I'm for, you know, like, think about this, man. Mm-hmm. Football players legitimately play 50 hours a year of football. Wow. Wow, I never did the math. Honestly, about never did. I was so low. About 50 hours a year yeah. of, of, of the actual thing in which they train 365 days for. They get to enjoy 50 hours of it wow. a year. Right? And that's just the total like playing time, like let alone like the actual time they're on the field, which you would say, let's say you cut that by half. 20 to 25 hours of actual competitive playing time is what they get to enjoy on a yearly basis. And they're willing to give up their bodies, give up their minds, go through the process, the physical pain, the torment. For You better enjoy the process. Yeah. And I do. Man, that's great perspective there, brother. 100%. You know, being on the big stage, getting the win or whatever, finding yourself at the end goal or the outcome, it's always just a little blip on the radar. But the thing that always sticks with you is like what you endured and how you evolved and, 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 you know, how you got to see yourself grow over time. So very well said, man. Next question. What's like your favorite empowering idea or quote, just something you want to leave with the audience that they can maybe fall back on, you know, in times of, of stress or anxiety, just something empowering that you could impart on us. Yeah. This is one of my favorite quotes. The cowards, never started the week died along the way that leaves the rest of us mm. right yeah. so like you know like the, the cowards never started the week died along the way and that leaves us like we're the strong we're the survivors we're the the risk takers um and just i don't know it's just one of my favorite quotes i, I enjoy it and I, I think about it probably on a weekly basis you know like every time like if i don't feel like doing something it's like nah you're not going to be a coward you're going to start yeah. Um, if I feel like quitting, I'm not going to quit. I will not be weak, right? Um, the cowards never started. The weak died along the way. That leaves us. I love that, man. Y'all want to be part of us. I think of it as like a pyramid, man. I think, so getting to success obviously is difficult, right? Because you're at like the, the ground level of a pyramid where everybody's there, man. There's actually like, that's actually where the, the most competition is. But to kind of like leverage or implement, you know, the quote that you just shared with us, you know, the the further you can go or the longer you can stick it out, the more resilient you can be, you find yourself at the top, part of us, right? Where there actually aren't that many people going shoulder to shoulder with you anymore that then allows you to thrive and allows you to be more available towards really growing that craft or really going in harder and whatever that thing is that got you there. So that's a great way to think about it. You know, that really gives people a little bit of extra perspective. And then, bro, I'm really big on visualization, man. I think you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. This past summer, I got to go to Machu Picchu and I, I saw like with my own two eyes, like what those Incans were able to create with their own hands, you know, in a time that 
predates machinery or modern technology. These are all things that started as thoughts. And so I'm really, really big on visualization. And you know, I want you as my witness today, or I guess me as your witness today and the audience as your witness today to, to sort of profess where you think you will be or where you see yourself in the next six to nine months. I'm just curious to hear what your vision is. And I ask this because obviously I'll be talking to you several times before this, but I will follow up with you again on some sort of video or audio to see you know, what you've done in that time and to see if you hit these targets. My guess, my bet is that you surpass them, but where are you at in six to nine months? The first thing that I thought about was six to nine months for Civic Eagle. Yeah. And where, where, where we want to be is over $500,000 in annual recurring revenue. So right now we're doing a little over 225000 in annual recurrings. We want to double that in the next six months. Um, so over 500000 in annual recurring revenue as we continue to kind of double and triple our revenue. And then I also thought, you know, personally, I want to be in a stronger mental health state. Yeah. Where I want to continue to improve my, my, um, like I'm really good on my physical strength. I'm really good on my spirituality. I want to, to work my mental muscle, right? Um, not something that I think I'm necessarily weak at, but it's something that I want to focus my attention on. I'm going to work out every single day. I want to, you know, I want to also work my mind every single day, my mental every single day. So whether that's through spirituality, whether that's through meditation, um, whether that's through, you know, um, getting a, therapist and talking through things, but I want to dedicate myself to become consistent around how I train my mental health and working on my mental health. Awesome, brother. I love that. Mental health is key. And I'm, I'm happy you brought that up because that's something that obviously not a lot of us are talking about. It's becoming more and more discussed, I should say. So it's definitely something that I don't want people to feel, you know, like is a big, hairy, awkward elephant in the room. It's, it's something that I think is part of all of us and that can really give us you know, a little extra edge and just happiness in life if we were to give it the attention that it deserves. So thank you so much, bro, for coming on this show. Like I said, you've always been a role model to me. I'll never forget meeting you, man, in Atlanta and just clearly, honestly, truthfully, being a little intimidated. I don't even know why because you're such a great dude and you're such a humble man. But you know, I think it has something to do with the way that you present yourself and the authenticity. And you know, you're just a person that I feel like makes people want to level up around you. And that means the world to me because I'm also going to be better. And that's something I want to pass on to others. So thank you for always being willing to go first with that respect, man. And I wish you all the, all the best and all the, all the success going forward in the future. You know, I, I appreciate that. And uh, not to you know, start a man crush for your listeners, but <laughs> definitely, definitely um, the first time I met you, I was like, this is a very impressive person, right? Like, you're very smart, work hard, dedicated, consistent guy, and can sell your ass off. Might need that one day. You ever want to take on a VP of sales role? Please let me know. Oh my god! Um, Don't get me excited. Uh, so, so you're, you're you're an incredibly incredibly impressive guy, man, and just I'm happy to be on this podcast with you and, and to support a great mission that you're on and a great idea that you have to solve a problem that impacts. Yeah a lot of us. So thank you for that. Absolutely, bro. Appreciate the kind words. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, yesterday is gone and tomorrow is not promised. So there's no better time than the present to get into the arena of your life and to start moving towards your purpose and potential. Peace. Hey, I want to personally thank you again for tuning in. At the end of the day, I really do believe that we're all in this game of life to help one another out. 
and that the best way we can do this is through sharing our stories more openly and honestly. And so, if you like the show, please take a quick minute to leave us a rating, drop us a review, and subscribe for more. Also, I'd love to get to know you a little bit better and hear your story. Please head over to carlsona.com slash chat. That's Carl with a K, S-O-N-A dot com slash chat to book a 15-minute free Zoom call with me, and I can't wait to see you there.